Welcome to the Doing Useful Things podcast. I'm Dave Keeler. In this episode, I talk with Edgar Weipel, Research Director at SBA Research, an Austrian information security firm. Edgar explains cryptocurrency and the blockchain. Frankly, I knew almost nothing about blockchain and how cryptocurrency is developed and traded going into this discussion. And I was skeptical of Bitcoin and its viability. But after talking with Edgar, I became more convinced that cryptocurrency could one day satisfy government requirements for money laundering and other illicit practices that involve paper currency. This would pave the way for becoming a generally accepted currency worldwide. We had some mic issues in this episode, so I apologize for any less than optimal sound. But Edgar's knowledge still comes through crystal clear. Here's Edgar. We're sitting here with Edgar Weipel of SBA Research. It's based in Vienna, Austria. And we're here to talk about um, cryptocurrency and as well as blockchain. And then we're going to go into some specific types of attacks at the later section of the show. So first of all, I want to start off if, uh, with cryptocurrency. I think most people know what it is. It's a, we've seen a lot about Bitcoin in the news recently, certainly with it going up to what, $20,000 per coin or something like that last year. I think it's now down to 3,000 or something, but uh, it's something that I think we all heard about. But just uh, so everybody's on the same page, could you just give us a quick description of what cryptocurrency is and what it's used for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we start with Bitcoin is uh, the best uh, known cryptocurrency. Um, the term coin is actually a bit misleading because it's not, it's not a coin where you can pay in an anonymous way but it's it's basically a ledger where you keep track of all the transactions so um, if if i have one bitcoin and then i transfer that to you those transactions are recorded and unlike uh, normal coins or paper currency you always have a history to to each transaction so if if you then go on and spend uh, spend the Bitcoin that I gave to you and you transfer it to some other person, you can always see the chain of uh, transactions that were done. So that's a, that's a major difference. So it's, so it's basically a, a, a publicly available ledger where everyone can look into which transactions happen and everyone can verify that the person who spends a Bitcoin actually has this Bitcoin, that he can really spend it and that he only spends it or she only spends it once. So when you say everybody can see the transactions, now they can't see who the person is, right? It's just a transaction. Now, and so when you're saying that uh, that the people can see that to ensure that this individual has enough money in their wallet, how does that? How, how does it look to a third party looking at this? Is it just a number, yeah. uh, like a number, and this is a person is identified by their number and how much money they have? Yeah, so it's basically like an account number, you, you could say. Um, and technically, it's, it's, um, it's more or less a hash value of, of, of a key um, that you have. And each person can have, like you can have um, many accounts with different banks. So you can also have different uh, Bitcoin addresses. Yeah? So it's not one person has exactly one, but you can have many. Um, and it's not... Uh, you can see in the ledger, you can see those this ID, but you don't know who the person behind this or the legal entity behind this is. So when you do a transaction with somebody, you know how much money they have in the wallet, how much they have available. In this right? wallet that they choose to show you, yes. And then people can transfer money from wallet to wallet to wallet? 
Correct. Yeah. Now, can they transfer it? I know there are other types of cryptocurrencies out there. Mm-hmm. Can they transfer among cryptocurrencies or do they have to stay with Bitcoin and Bitcoin wallets? Um, so um, to go to another uh, cryptocurrency, you usually use an exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, the easiest uh, concept is to have a central uh, a trustworthy exchange. So if, if you handle, uh, for instance, um, the transactions from transferring from one uh, cryptocurrency to another, and I have uh, I have a, a Bitcoin. I would give you the Bitcoin and say, please, uh, and you have some um, I don't know, Ether. Uh, please convert this to Ether and give it to this address in Ether. Uh, so this is the simplest way. But there are obvious problems to that also, such as that I have to trust you because if once I give you the Bitcoin, you then decide, well, I won't give you the corresponding ether, um, then there's within the system nothing that I can do. If I know who you are, the legal um, entity, because you publish this on a web page and you say you're a company based in Austria, then I can obviously use the legal system to sue you. But um, if I don't know who you are, then, then, then I have a with that. But and you could easily do a transaction with someone who you don't know, right? Because all, if they want to remain anonymous, mm-hmm. they just provide you their identification number, right? And that's it. Yeah. Do you need to use an exchange to effect a transaction with another party, or can uh, it just be? If one? you remain within the same cryptocurrency, no. Okay. Uh, if, if I want to transfer one Bitcoin to you, we don't need. That's the uh, entire point of having those decentralized. Uh, systems is that we don't need a centralized uh, party, someone we trust, but I just can transfer it to you. Uh, and I don't need a government or, or banks or f- some financial framework that I trust. Similar to like a bank transfer. I say I want to give you one Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You give me your, identif- your account number, mm-hmm. so to speak, right? And then I would transfer the one Bitcoin to your account. Correct, yes. And using the blockchain. Uh, mm-hmm. on, okay. And then I assume that there are now software packages with easy user interfaces to be able to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even apps and stuff, I imagine. I, I haven't used them in full disclosure. Uh, I haven't used uh, Bit, uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency yet. It seems it's a little bit volatile for me. So I guess one of the things that uh, that's confusing to me is who's behind it, right? And in the sense of you've got this system out there that people are using to transfer what is essentially a lot of money, right? And especially the more valuable the Bitcoins become, all this money. Is, is there a, a group, an organization uh, that is kind of regulating or monitoring or developing or improving the system? What is the foundation behind this, this system? <clears throat> so the, the, the basic question is who is in control of that or who, who decides what happens? Because many things are, are just... Um Convention, so you agree that um, um, as long as the majority of people, not the majority in terms of headcount, but the majority of, of mining power that is in the pool, uh, agree on something, this thing will happen. So, for instance, um, just to give an example, uh, many um, uh, proponents of Bitcoin say that Bitcoin is great because uh, there's no inflation, because there's a maximum number of Bitcoins, uh, which is 21 million. Mm-hmm. Um, this limit of 21 million is just hard coded um, in the client. Um, one line in the software that says the max Bitcoin is Bitcoin is 21 million. Uh, 
If everyone or the majority of people who use the system decide that this is not a good idea, and actually there are reasons why this might not be a good idea to, to have this, um, this hard set limit, uh, then we can, we can change it. And the question is who, who is in control? Is it the miners, the people who provide the mining power? Is it um, the people who write the software? Because um, most miners run the same software. And if the people who develop the software change it, then and, uh, and, and, and this is adopted, uh, maybe the miners are kind of nudged to or forced to adopt this, uh, then it's that could be the software developers of, of the software that have the real power, or is it the users? Because if no one really uses the system, um, the value of the Bitcoin drops and then miners don't make money and then they don't mine. And so maybe it's the end users that are in control and it's not, not really clear who, um, who is in control. So who, who actually has access to the code to, to make the change? And how do you prevent unauthorized changes? Um, so the code is publicly available. Mm -hmm. you, you can take the uh, code of um, yeah, the original Bitcoin client and modify it and say, well, I don't like the idea of having 21 million Bitcoins because I think inflation is, is, is good. And there obviously it's, uh, economic discussions that inflation is something that is actually needed. And you, you decide that you want a, maybe a inflation that is fixed in percent per year, or maybe you decide you want to base this on some other economic figures that the inflation adapts or whatever. So you can create your own client um, from the software. And if enough people and miners decide this is the new Bitcoin that we want to have, and, and this would then um, result in a fork. Uh, so, and if, if no one picks up on your idea, then you can go and you can happily mine your own new Bitcoins and no one cares about this and there's no value attached to it, but you can still do it. So it's a... Uh, so when you say client, you mean like a new type of currency? A, a client, I mean the software, okay. the software that you run. To your point about mining and the value. So as I understand it, essentially you have computers out there, powerful computers that are solving uh, mathematical equations, right? Um, they, they basically uh, calculate a hash value, which is a mathematical function, um, and then look at the result. And if the result uh, has enough leading zeros, so if it starts with zero, 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 then, and the numbers of zeros is, is large enough, uh, then it's considered a good solution. And if, if it doesn't have the zeros, then they just try another, they modify something slightly and try another time. It's basically a random, random process, so there's no... So you have multiple uh, nodes out there, right? These miners mm -hmm. that are solving, they're in competition, right? To yes, solve. correct. So, the, and I understand the first one to solve gets the coin, right? Mm -hmm. Who creates the Rubik's Cube that you have to solve? So uh, what is the puzzle that needs to be solved? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you look at the um, at the block header. So um, f each block um, in the blockchain has a header. It contains, for instance, a pointer to the previous block and a date, and it contains uh, the hash value of the transactions that are in the block and some other information. And then there's, a, there's, there's some bytes um, where you can put in arbitrary data in this block header, and and you put in a random number in in, in this uh, in this uh, field, and then you calculate the hash value. So a hash value um, basically takes an arbitrary size input. In our case, it's fixed size input 
because the block head is always the same size and calculates a shorter number, usually a 256 bit number out of that. And then uh, it's, it's defined that um, according to the current level of difficulty, a, a certain number of leading zeros have to be in this in this result. Uh, and so, and again, that we use a certain hash function, uh, whether we use a, which kind of hash function we use, um, and how many leading zeros we want. That this depends on the level of difficulty. Again, this is an agreement by everyone who uses the system. Uh, um, you could say, well, I have a block with just one leading zero, which is obviously very easy to find. 50% uh, chance that within one uh, calculation you get this. Um, and you can say this is a nice Bitcoin block. I would use it, but no one else agrees. Uh, so everyone in the net says this is not the level of difficulty that we have now. We don't accept this block. So it's, it's always about a common agreement of all the, of all the, use, of all the miners. And how many miners are there? Um, so um, the number uh, changes. There are a couple of um, uh, dominant mining pools. Um, so usually, because the reward that you get for successfully mining a block is, is, is quite large, so you currently get uh, more than 10 bitcoins for successfully mining one block. It's 12.5, uh, actually. Um, depending on the current value, I mean, a bit more than one year ago, this would have been... Um, like 250,000 uh, US dollars. Now it's maybe, I don't know, like 30 or something, yeah. but it's still a, a substantial amount. So, and the chances that you find one as an individual miner, even if you have a big um, uh, rack set up with specialized ASICs is quite small. So usually uh, you take part in a mining pool. So many people get together and whoever finds um, uh, gets the reward, shares it with the others so that you have a constant constant income um, within this pool. And there are uh, maybe five uh, pools uh, that make up uh, definitely more than half of the mining power. Th this also changes over time. There were times where like the uh, top two or top three mining pools had more than half of the mining power. Now it seems that, that uh, it's a bit, bit better distributed, but still a few uh, mining pools um, control a large amount of uh, hash power. Then you're, you're basically adding to the chain, mm -hmm. right? You're adding a block to the chain. So that's kind of the puzzle is mm -hmm. you have this, this is just ongoing chain and you're adding a block to the, to the last chain that's there. Yep. How is the, the puzzle generated or how is the, there's an answer, right? Someone's going to get an answer. Mm -hmm. Is the, the correct answer known at some point through some sort of algorithm that's buried deep and you just have to figure that out? Uh, or, you know what I'm saying? Like if, uh, if someone's trying to find an answer, someone knows the question, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's, it's easy to check. Um, um, so the, the, the characteristic of this puzzle is that it's the way a hash function is defined that if I say I want a specific output value, what should the input value be that this is the specific output value I want? This is very hard. That's how this function is designed. But once you have this input value, calculating the hash value and checking whether it's correct is very easy. So it's a function um, that, that, that's hard to reverse. So going in one direction takes a millisecond maybe or a couple of milliseconds or whatever, depends on the hardware use. But going the other way is really hard. If you want a specific value, not just any value with an, 
number of leading zeros, but a specific value, it would take longer than um, than our universe exists. So when you say hash, it's like a crypto uh, key, a, right? A, a cryptographic hash function. Okay. A cryptographic hash function is defined that for an arbitrary sized input, you get a specific output, that for two similar inputs, the output looks different, that you cannot, given from, a, uh, from, an, from, an in, uh, from an output, find inputs that generate this output. Okay. Basically, that's called collision resistance, and then there are some other things also but so and as i understand it, it's uh a, the the gentleman by the name is nakamoto what's the name of the um the, the fictional or mythical guy person? Who, who who came up with the putting all those building blocks together is uh, nakamoto yes this uh person or whatever it is an entity mm -hmm. uh then they wrote the underlying technology right or they developed the underlying technology they wrote the code uh published the paper with the code and uh, the building blocks are not new so um, this proof of work this is this solving of a puzzle is, is not new this has been around for I don't know 10 15 20 years uh, not used in this context huh? um, other things such as transactions recording them in ledgers is also not new but putting this together and using this solving of a puzzle to find the yeah, one of the keywords in this context is also a consensus so that we agree on the same uh, blocks, finding this consensus in a large distributed system because many nodes participate and with the participation varying, so people joining and people leaving, uh, this was a hard problem. And the Nakamoto consensus, as it's, as it's now called, is one solution to that and a very efficient one, it seems. And again, back to... Uh, trying to understand that you have, that everybody's trying to find the answer. If the answer is a hash, right? You're trying to find a specific hash. Is that is the is that hash the right one that's that people are trying to find? Is that randomly generated? Is that where does that come from? Um, everyone takes um, takes the block header of the block that you are mining, and that's actually. The, the each block so if you're a miner and I'm a miner we will mine on different blocks because um, even if we would include all the same transactions which we usually don't but even if we would include all the same transactions there's one transactions that transaction that will differ that is the uh, the coinbase transaction the transaction where we get our mining reward so if I mine a block I put in one transaction that says the mining reward goes to me mm -hmm. uh, and you will probably not put in um, the mining reward goes to Edgar, but you will uh, say the mining reward goes to you. Yeah? So the blocks that we mine on are always different. Huh? So there's no competition. Um, so it doesn't matter how how you mine, I don't, because we mine on different things, it's just a random process that I have to try to uh, put in in this, this empty field in the header different random numbers and see if the hash value has sufficient amount of leading series and you, you do the same thing. If we're mining different blocks, then we both have the opportunity to be victorious. Yes. Right? So we both can get it. So then it's a matter of time and computing power, right? Yeah. So what would, wouldn't it make sense then to, for a company or individual or someone just to spend a lot of money on these, on these powerful computers can you just turn it on and let it go and then start mining and mining and mining? And if, if you have more mining power, it's a completely random process. But if you have twice as much mining power, you will, in average, 
get twice as many blocks mined as I will. Uh, so you will get obviously my, more mining reward. But yes, adding power, then you can make more money, but this requires a lot of computing power, a lot of hardware, this is expensive. Huh? Right, I think I read somewhere that it's uh, costs about $8,000 per coin mining technology. So with the, the energy use and everything else that you're doing. So the, the point being is that if when Bitcoin drops below 8,000, well then the incentive to mine drops off and then people stop mining, right? Mm -hmm. And then whole network relies on a certain number, at least there's, I imagine there's a minimum number of miners that need to be working, right? Yes, um, if the mining reward, if, if the value drops and uh, the mining reward expressed in US dollar or, or Euro then goes below the threshold where it's uh, profitable to mine, people will stop, but there will always be, there are countries where electricity might not be so expensive, um, then fewer people mine or the shut off most of the mining power, but just keep one, maybe one computer, one uh, rack of ASICs uh, mining, um, then the level of difficulty will also be adjusted. Uh, so if, for instance, we would now lose 90% of the mining power because um, no one is interested anymore, um, then after a couple of days, the, the, the difficulty of this puzzle uh, will automatically be reduced. That's how we agreed that it should work. It's coded in the software. Yes, really? Okay. Um, and then we don't need a lot of leading zeros, but fewer leading zeros. And then it's easier to solve. Uh, then you have need fewer tries. And then, and so in average, a block uh, will be mined every 10 minutes. Okay. So the puzzle then creates, I'm sorry, the software creates the puzzle. And anybody can see the code to that yep. and how it's created. So no one... Uh, let me ask you a question about that. So if it's if someone is not monitoring, the, the software is open source, everybody can mm -hmm. see it. But if someone's not monitoring it, could someone feasibly go in and, and alter the software a little bit, and someone would, and the rest of the the rest of the world wouldn't know if they're not actively monitoring it? You don't need to use the original software. It's just convenient. You can create your own software. The important thing is that they blocks that you create are valid. And if I create a block, um, I have to check whether the transactions in this block are valid. And I also need to check whether the chain that I append my block to is also valid. Um, and if you use two different software, if the software has, has a mistake or, or tries to, to, to cheat someone, um, everyone should would check, ideally everyone would check um, this block and then say, well, this is not a valid block. Those are not the rules that we agreed on. I I won't include this in the chain. Is there a process to validate these blocks? Does it go through a committee or how does that work? No. Um, so once I successfully mine a block or that I claim that I successfully mine a block, I send it to everyone that I know. Uh -huh. And then all those people uh, check whether this is a valid block. Um, and if it's valid, they put it on the chain on their locally stored chain, and then they uh, mine a follow the follow up block. Okay, so everybody's local chain should mirror what is accepted by everybody else within yes. that particular coin, mm -hmm. that type of coin right? within this within this chain. Yeah. Okay, so uh, even though they're they're working locally, that their uh, their system. Okay, I understand now. So they they have a picture locally, so they could actually disconnect from the internet and just kind of power their own thing 
until they develop, until they create a block or find a block, right? Find a block or create a block. And, uh, and then, then send that out yeah. to, to verifiers. Now, do you have to send it out to a certain number of verifiers? Do they put a certain like an electronic stamp of approval on it? How does it actually get verified? And so you actually also, while you're mining, you monitor whether someone else found a block first because it, um, it, there's a rule that always the longest chain wins. So if, if you have your locally stored chain and you mine the last block and someone else finds finds the last block and you uh, and everyone else continues on this now longer chain with with the other guy's block and you would not know about it and you would continue on on use this would be probably wasted because the other chain is longer everyone will mine on the other chain this will be the main chain and you power the power that you invest would be lost huh? so, so it means so you, you missed your space yeah, essentially so, yeah so it's in your interest to see if someone else has a has found a block then you don't continue on your block, but you build on his or her block to I continue. See. And so it's in your interest to talk to as many people as possible because, and it, this naturally happens in a, it's a large distributed system where not every party is connected to every other party. So it can happen that I successfully mine a block at the same time or approximately the same time as you do. And then Mm, it depends on who knows more people and who can spread the word that he or she has found a block uh, quicker than the other one. So if we find it almost at the same time and you only know two other guys, but I know 10,000, uh, I distribute it to 10,000. They say, okay, Edgar's block looks fine. I continue mining on, on, on that. And once they receive your block, maybe a couple of seconds or minutes later, they say, well, I've already got one. Um, I'm not interested in that. So you don't actually get the reward in the minute that you found the block, but only once it has been accepted by all the other nodes. Have there been many disputes? Because I can imagine, you know, it's, I don't know, roughly at any time, did you say how many miners they may be at any one time? Um, a couple of thousand. So a couple of thousand. And, you know, someone puts out their block and we're all looking kind of at the same chain, right? We're all looking at the same chain. You're in competition with another miner on, the same, on a block you come out at the same a similar time. Now the problem is, is if that other miner, his block gets attached to the chain by agreement of all the other miners, then you that your block is useless now because right. you you're constantly trying to build on the most previous block, mm -hmm. right? So have there been disagreements? The the development continues, right? So it's not like you can say, all right, everybody stop. We're going to solve this. It continues. So by the time, if you're continuing to argue, maybe there's another block on now. And the more blocks get on, the, the farther away you're... Yeah, you so that, those things are called forks. Um, there's a natural fork rate of probably older publications said it's like maybe one to one and a half percent. Looking at historical data, um, we found that uh, it's probably a bit higher, um, maybe twice as high. But there's, there's, um, uh, this naturally happens in a distributed system. And, and um, the assumption, also as it is coded in the first uh, client, is that every miner just mines, continues to mine on the longest chain that he or she knows. Uh, and so, and it's not, it's, it's not a bad competition or that someone is, uh, right now we don't, talking about, we don't assume that anyone tries to cheat in the in the in, in the first assumption but uh, we say this we assume that the system works because um, 
it's always if you, uh, you're in the game because you want to make money. Um, and if you uh, do your, if you behave in the way that you optimize your income, then the system is becomes stable. Um, so if, if I'm just a very egoistic person and I just do to maximize my income, I will always mine on the longest chain and this is how it's defined and then we, the, the, the simulations and proofs that show that this, that system is stable. So it will naturally happen that you mine a block, I mine a block, we're in competition, whoever is better connected wins. Uh, that's kind of the natural way that... Better this, connected network-wise. Yes. Interesting. Never been a more important time to have a good network, right? Um, and no many connections. I mean, there, there are many basic and underlying assumptions. And that's actually the interesting thing in research that you can then look at. You, you assume that the... Um, that each node is connected to many other nodes mm -hmm. and you kind of assume that um, the pictures that are drawn is that uh, like you have one node and there are connections to many other nodes and you kind of think as this is a decentralized system but then if you look at the communication infrastructure that is really used, the internet, um, there are not so many connections between the US and Europe for instance. So there are a couple of mm -hmm. uh, undersea cables so it's it's not like i talk to 10 nodes kind of independently in the us but all the traffic goes through one cable basically or so can you cables. see the communications with other nodes um can, if there's no to no communication can you see that there's I, I i don't see it but uh those people who control uh the, the network and it again it could be just technical problems that exist if i don't know some some ship uh cuts through, accidentally cuts through a cable or for some reason uh, people decide not to allow communication between uh, that are in control of the communication, then the network uh, can easily separate. Uh, so this is, um, and if you think of countries that have a strong firewall that can control inbound mm -hmm. and outbound traffic, such as China, for instance, uh, right now they don't do it, but it's conceivable that you say, but let's just um, split off our Bitcoin network for some time. And not allow communications between the rest of the world. And but there are uh, Bitcoin miners in China, right? A lot of them, yeah. yeah. And actually, the the majority of hashing power is in ch jointly together is in in uh, um, Russia and China. Interesting. So uh, I want to get back to your comment about a fork. Mm -hmm. So when you say something forks off, if you have a, a chain that's mm -hmm. progressing, and you have two two different blocks that want to they want to attach their block to the that last mm -hmm. block, right? And then it sounds like the fork means that do they both attach and one goes one direction and one goes the other. Yeah. So then the, there's potential that both of those forks have validity, right? That, that people will start mining on both of them. Is that correct? Yeah. So each miner will choose the one that, at least that's how it's implemented in the client, each miner will choose the first chain that he saw. The first longest chain, if he's, and if someone else shows him, if he gets information about the longer chain, he will stop mining on what he's currently doing and continue mining on the longest chain. But it, it, it is conceivable that, and it, that's actually what happens because it's not the extreme case that I know everyone and you just know one guy, but you know many guys, and I maybe know slightly more guys. Uh, but then some people will start mining on your block, and slightly more people might be mining on my block. Um, and then, since more people mine, and by people I mean hashing power, not headcount, um, then it's likely that the people who mine on my fork um, find the next block 
earlier than your people, and then our chain, or my chain, becomes longer. If it's, there's a fork, do both parties of that fork get Bitcoin? <clears throat> no, in the fork? end, it's only the winning chain that gets the Bitcoin. So well, the entire the, chain has to win. Yeah. It's not per block. And then how do you, how do you determine when the chain is finished? Um, usually, you say the probability that someone you wait for a couple of blocks. So in blockchain, the kind of usual number that is uh, used is six blocks. So after one hour, it's about 10 minutes per block. Um, after one hour, you say uh, this chain won't change anymore. So there's a reasonable, there are probabilistic guarantees. You can never be sure there could be someone with more hashing power somewhere secretly mining a longer chain. Um, and so then does the group then, the organization, when I say organization, the, I mean the the distributed network then comes to a consensus that, okay, this block is finished. Mm -hmm. And how does that, is it a formal process or is it, no. if no one says anything after an hour, then it's done? Like no, uh, it's just very unlikely uh, that there's someone who has more, that there's someone who has a, a, a longer chain because the way the incentives are created, it is unlikely, it doesn't make sense. But for instance, if you would have lots of money and you would really hate uh, Bitcoin, and you would have more mining power than uh, than the rest uh, combined, um, you could mine your own longest chain and not not tell anyone about it, and your chain would be longer than the, the, the currently publicly available blockchain. And you go and we do this for one year. I mean, you, you would need lots of lots of energy. I mean, currently Bitcoin uses I don't know the uh, power consumption of an, an entire country. But let's assume you have. Um, of an entire country. Yeah, uh, was it like Denmark or something? Yeah. Really? So, wow. I, I, don't I mean, know. the whole the whole network together combined. Yes. Gen okay, gotcha. But, uh, but and I don't know. You have I don't know uh, thirty nuclear power plants for your um, exclusive use for mining, and no one knows about it. And you just in some remote place have this uh, mining power, and you uh, you created a longer chain than anyone else has, and then. In one year, you present this to the network and you say, hey, here's the longest chain. Uh, then you basically mess up the, all the transactions that have happened in this then past year would, be, would, have, would be lost. And that's acceptable? Uh, that's how it's defined. Huh? So, okay, so we, the other, other parties have to say, okay, you're right, you have, you have yeah. this. And, but maybe if it's such an extreme case, they would say, yeah, but this is not the way that we intend it. We'll just change the rules on the fly. We say we don't, we don't like... We don't like you, um, because it's always a it, it, it's always a consensus of of the people who use the network. Is there like a quorum? Uh, how, how do you determine if it is a consensus or not? Currently, you say if the majority of the the nodes um, of the hashing weighted with the hashing power agree, then then we do it this way. And then anyone who doesn't want to join or doesn't like it can leave or follow the old rules. I mean, that's what happened with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, that they basically didn't agree on on, 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 on block sizes and then other stuff. And some went this way and the other went this way. And then two kinds is how, how is the communication between the nodes? Is, it, is, it, uh, is there a central chat board and network? Is it email? How are they communicating? Uh, no, it's a direct connection. I know several nodes and I directly connect uh, and you're chatting with them or talking with no, them? No, the, the software directly connects. I mean, there's no human uh, interaction with that. It's, it's just 
packets that are sent. But I'm saying when you're deciding something, when someone's making a decision, you say the group is a decision, how are they? You usually code this into the software, then you say, um, okay. if, if by, um, we vote by setting some bit in the block that I mine, and if I, because I have a lot of hash power, um, um, I, I say I now support this new protocol, or I would support this new protocol, uh, even if it's still mine on the old one, and I put this in the block header, and then this, uh, we code in the software and say, if, 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 I don't know, most blocks now set this bit, then we'll switch, and then we switch to the new software. So then you're, you could actually be pre-coding your decisions, right? In the event yeah. that something comes up, uh, I decide my vote is this, mm -hmm. is X. Interesting. Uh, I want to get to uh, power consumption. So what type of computers are used to, uh, to mine? What's, what's, uh, what are we looking at if it's using so much energy? What are we looking at? As far so as for Bitcoin, you cannot, I mean, theoretically, you could use your computer. And there's also actually malware that, uh, that harnesses the power of, of, of computers that uh, don't belong to the attacker to, to mine. But efficient mining can only be done uh, with specialized hardware for, for Bitcoin. So there are, uh, there's specific uh, ASICs or customary chips designed that are that can only be used to calculate this one function very efficiently um, that is used for Bitcoin mining. That's your software, right? Um, so that would be the hardware. Yeah? So uh, you have specific hardware, and that's um, and with like normal. So it's basically you buy Bitcoin hardware. You buy Bitcoin hardware. And who yes. do you buy that from? Um, that companies that manufacture that okay. and, and, they, and they sell it. And this is then also, I mean, that's why it's also such an interesting research um, uh, topic because now if you, if you invest a lot of money in hardware you, uh, that you can only use to mine, for instance, Bitcoin, um, you, you have an interest that Bitcoin uh, remain stable because you just spent maybe a million dollars buying this hardware. So, uh, so even if you do and uh, if you could participate or if logically it would make sense to participate in an attack purely from the incentive structure, um, you would have to also consider if, if I now invested a lot of money into hardware and I, and, and I participate in an attack that gives me short-term gains, but in the long term hurts the currency maybe that's not not such a great idea because if if if, if we break the currency and, and and i just invested lots of money that i can mine efficiently there um uh, this, this doesn't make sense so looking at the economic perspective not just of the mining process itself but the hardware that you actually need and the investment that you did um changes some of the basic assumptions that were not previously um, um considered, I guess, by, by, by the guys who invented or the guy who invented. Uh, You're invested in making mm -hmm. sure that the system is, I guess, is perfect, right? As it possibly can be because all of your money or your, your when I say money, for lack of a better term, your, your, mm -hmm. the output of what you put into it is invested in this network. So I guess if you start to undermine it, then you are undermining yourself, correct? Yes. Okay. I mean, to get more, obviously, you can dedicate more computing power to it, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's a kind of a guaranteed way of getting yeah, what you want. And that's kind of the legal way. That's how the system is designed. But is there an illegal way um, to do this? 
that, that, that's an interesting question because um, in, in many aspects things that and it's not be, even legal right we're not laws don't don't surround this so yeah it's, it's more many ethical. things many things that um, we would consider illegal in in the real world uh, probably not uh, illegal in in this domain so um, for instance um, making um, with ether so the currency used uh, in ethereum um, there was some years back there was a yeah uh, sorry ethereum that's ethereum, what you said. Yeah. that's ethereum is the company um, is this is, is the system and the the, the form is the is, is, coin. is the okay. coin basically yeah um so there was a, there was a, a flash crash at, at some point so someone uh, sold uh, lots of ether and then the the value dropped from was it like 200 or 300 us dollar per ether to 20 to 50 cent mm -hmm. uh, and then the same person uh, bought lots of ether at this low price, uh, um, and you could see this 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 drop, and that and then after a couple of minutes it recovered. Uh. So they're manipulating the market. Yeah, so basically market. And if you do this in in the real world, this is obviously not not allowed. There are stop. They'll stop. Right. Not only the 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 government gets in, but most most exchanges, stock exchanges, if, if there's a flash crash, it stops trading mm -hmm. on that particular stock. Yeah, I mean, some of the exchanges did this also uh, with with Ether, but but not all of them, uh, and not maybe not so not quickly enough. And moreover, and you now know the address of the person who made lots of money. I mean, the guy invested was it ten or twenty thousand US dollar to buy Ether at a rate of twenty to fifty cent, and after a couple of minutes, it was again up to two hundred US dollars. So it's kind of a nice gain. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'd say. <laughs> Um, in a few minutes right? um, yeah and um, but everyone can look at this address now and, and, and see what happens with this money and up to now at least I didn't check in the last couple of days but um, it seems uh, checked uh, some weeks ago last time it seems that uh, this money has not been spent yet so, uh, so everyone can look at it and, and this is also the interesting part is that we could say even though it's not illegal we could say we simply don't like this guy because he did something that we don't like and we simply don't accept any money from this guy. So essentially the group, the group mm -hmm. mentality is we're just going to monitor this particular wallet. We don't know who it is, but we're not going to let him do transactions. So mm -hmm. he may have 10,000 Bitcoin or whatever it may be, but he can't spend it. Yeah, None of us are going to do a transaction. In, in, in this case, it would be Ether, but it doesn't really matter. We could do the same with Bitcoins. If someone did something that we don't like, we don't accept payment directly uh, from this address, and we could also because he could easily create a new address and transfer uh, transfer it from from the address we don't like to this new address. We, we would also say any we don't take payment from anyone who has ever dealt with this person. So then, is the the actual coin can be tracked as well, right? Yeah, because it's not a coin; it's a transaction. We say we transfer it. From right. I'm just using uh, coin yeah. as a as a yeah. kind of a placeholder word. So it, let's say this particular person, they have 10,000 coins uh, in their account, their wallet. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, all right, I'm kind of done on the, in the, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin area. So they try to cash it out, right? So that, let's say they go to their exchanges, right, where they can actually get real currency from that, from that Bitcoin. If right? this uh, exchange accepts that transaction, if they say, well, this is the bad guy, I'm not going to do it because I don't like him. But then now, so the exchange, let's say they did accept the transaction. Mm -hmm. Now they've got some of the Bitcoin that he got 
through questionable means, there's no way they can get rid of, there's no way they can disguise that particular coin, right? It's always going to be tagged with that particular transaction or that number. So you can't, it's not like regular cash where if I get $100 or 100 euros, then no one really knows that 100 euro bill. Correct. Is, but we know every single, or the, the, the whole network knows every single coin that's been created and where it's gone. Yeah, I mean, they, they could say, well, we put it into some kind of uh, mixing network so that it's not easily traceable. But then again, we could say, well, eh, we won't take any output of this mixing network if it took unclean money. Uh, and so therefore, it's in the interest then of this mixing service not to allow any blocked currency. I mean, currently, those blocking lists don't ex uh, exist. But it, since uh, those transactions are, are traceable, um, law enforcement or, or anyone could come up with lists of people that they don't like. I mean, they could say, um, this is money from China, we don't like Chinese people, or this is money from uh, from some other group, we don't like uh, people who live in Islamic countries, or we don't like black people or white people or whatever, or depending on, on, on the trade you're in, we don't like people who did drug transactions, or we don't like people who who sell weapons or whatever. So um, and it could create this list. And, um, and this is also the, the, the important difference compared to, to, to traditional money is that you can trace the transaction. You can do some sleuthing and figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. So if there are certain transactions between two anonymous nodes, and then you look in the real world and there are certain things going on, then you can kind of decipher, okay, that must these, these must be the two, no the two nodes that are going back and forth yeah. and based upon what's happening in the real world. And it's often also revealed. So for instance, police uh, seizes the laptop of some drug uh, dealer and they, and they find the keys and then they know those are the Bitcoin addresses uh, that the drug uh, dealer used. Huh? And then they could publish this list. And so those are the addresses that some, some drug guy used. And we maybe all agree that we don't like uh, illegal drugs. And then we say, well, anyone who took money from this guy, um, we no longer accept also payments, for payments from these people. Huh. But again, that's if you choose to. If you choose if to, yeah. There's no official nope. blacklist, so to speak. So it's interesting. You know, one, of the, one of the things that comes out a lot when you talk um, that governments don't like about cryptocurrency is because it, it allows for money laundering and, of course, mm -hmm. buying you know, arms and drugs and things like mm -hmm. that. But it, it sounds to me like at least one aspect of it is even better at preventing money laundering within the Bitcoin system because it's so hard to disguise each coin that you really can't launder the coin per se. As with cash, if you have a suitcase of you know, 10,000 euros, then uh, you can launder that because no one's, unless, unless they have the serial numbers from each bill, which generally you don't, right? Because you're talking, mm -hmm. people sell drugs and they get all this money and then they use it to, you know, well, Breaking Bad, they bought a car wash, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, they pretended that they had transactions coming into the car wash and they would deposit that money in the bank mm -hmm. and so forth. Because the individual note is not tracked, Correct. it's easy to launder. But when you're looking at cryptocurrency, that individual note, which is the coin, is trackable because yeah. it's, that's on a ledger somewhere, right? And so we know. So it's an interesting counter-argument to money laundering. Now I know once you start mixing um, 
traditional currency and Bitcoin, well, then you, that's where the money laundering kind of has an opportunity to thrive. But if you if all of a sudden the whole world was electronic currency right now, you probably would almost see an end to money laundering, right? Uh, at least you could choose to make things more transparent if you if if you choose to do so. So, for instance, I mean, no one <clears throat> prevents you from saying what your Bitcoin address is, uh, and so you, and since you have it's there's some cryptographic keys, and you can actually prove that you own this address. So. Uh, since it's a, it's a public and private key pair, I can sign a message and say, um, I can sign the message with the key that I also need to spend the Bitcoin. I can sign a message and says, um, this Bitcoin address belongs to me, Edgar, or to my... And you uh, need your key to do that. Yeah, and, okay, the so key, and this also proves that I actually have control over this wallet. Right. And, and actually we did this, uh, we did this uh, for our research center. Uh, we did a, a study that where we asked... Um, uh, people how they use bitcoins um, and uh, we, we paid them to participate in this study i mean at, at the time that we uh, we paid them we paid them like uh, the equivalent of about uh, 50 cents to, to 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 one euro to participate in this survey and we paid them in bitcoin huh? so at uh, several years ago and transaction fees were, were considerably lower back then so this was feasible um, and we published this we said well this is the you can everyone can check we just bought bitcoins um for about thousand euro at, at, uh, when we did this it was like 1.5 bitcoins and everyone can see that we have those 1.5 bitcoins on our wallet and um after we did the study we everyone can check that we paid out to and we said we have like 900 people that we interviewed and you can see that um, we paid 900 people uh, 900 different uh, Bitcoin addresses because you can see the transaction and everyone could check this and they could also check and and go back and say well uh, are those Bitcoin ad uh, addresses used have they been used before does it seem that they are kind of related or maybe in a very simple case, we could, if, if we um, would have paid to ourselves and then we'd be, um, for instance, use one one um, exchange to again convert this uh, uh, to euro, you could easily trace this and say it's very unlikely that 900 people distributed around the world use the same exchange to uh, to get the money out. So you can trace it and you see, well, it sounds reasonable that there are different, that there are people in different countries, uh, that there are actually distinct people um, who participated in the survey. So it sounds like because there's no governing body, there's no centralized <laughs> regulatory body that's, that's monitoring this, again, it's up to the crowd, so to speak, to, to self-monitor, right? Mm -hmm. to, to verify these types of transactions, to verify the legitimacy of somebody, whatever, all the things you just mentioned, it sounds like a lot of work, you know, to, to, to do. Are there companies that exist basically as verifiers? Like it seems like a, a natural industry that would pop up because you've got you know you've got entities that are mining, right? And you have exchanges, and then it sounds like they're the next natural thing would be an organization that would say, okay, where we go out and start verifying the and doing the types of sleuthing that you just mentioned, you know, did these nine hundred did they really do these nine hundred transactions to legitimate? So, so for whether we did a good study or not, no one, uh, not so many people really care. A couple of institutions would probably check it, but it uh, for the currency itself, it doesn't really matter whether we uh, whether we did a solid uh, study or not. But what there are uh, many people monitor transactions. Um, also, aside from law enforcement, if you uh, invested a lot in 
in, in hardware um, for mining, um, there's a, you have an interest that the, the currency um, works. So you're checking it. So you're checking whether there are some 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 bad transactions happening or something. If there's some attacks ongoing, because you would like to know about this. Um, I, if if you're operator of a huge mining pool, maybe you would then contact other mining pools and say, look, there's this attack ongoing. Uh, we should do something about this because it basically ruins our. Uh, the, the, we are heavily invested in this stuff and if, if, if everything breaks, we lose lots of money, let's do something about it. This is one reason or the other reason could be if you know earlier than others, you could bet on, on falling prices. You could say, well, I see that there's an attack ongoing, no one else has seen it, let's bet on a, a falling price of Bitcoin. So it sounds to me then, uh, while I'm sure there's a lot of imperfections within the system, and it's still, you know, it's still relatively new, but the self-policing aspect of it sounds is intriguing, right? Because it sounds like if you have, again, if you've invested all this money in the technology to mine Bitcoin, then it behooves you to constantly be monitoring the network and transactions to make sure that there are, someone's not undermining the network, which then again, which will reduce the value of your efforts. Mm -hmm. And then if there are major pools, you, you mentioned that are, that are doing this, then, uh, you know, I guess you, where it starts to break down is the assumption that everybody's got the best interest of the network as a goal. And the fact that these pools don't collude, right? Because I think I read somewhere where if you have over 50% control of the mining, then you have like an, an unnatural ability to control Correct. What's, yeah. what's happening. Even with lower boundaries, the attacks... Um, feasible with, with 33 or 25 percent of, of, of mining power. Uh, they've been described and also simulated. Um, it seems they have not been observed in, in, in the real world. No one really knows why. Um, but those attacks are feasible. But um, one, as, one interesting aspect is um, in times of crisis or, or large-scale conflicts, how would such a system... I mean, Right now, it, there are millions or billions involved in this, but it, compared to, to, to other financial transactions or, or the GDP of countries, it's, uh, it doesn't really matter. So if, if, if Bitcoin totally breaks, some people lose maybe a lot of money, but it doesn't really hurt the economy. Or, or so they, right, and so, I don't think governments would really care. No, yeah. because so, I, but if we switch to it and if we say, well, that's the big thing and in future we'll just use this stuff and, and, and we don't need uh, other... Money and it really has a, a, a serious impact of, in everyday life. Uh, then it's also important to think about what happens, and there's there's little uh, little experience in this. What happens in, in times of conflicts? Um, what is if if the majority of mining power is is in uh, China and Russia, and those countries could easily uh, wall off uh, their internet connections for some time and mine a longer chain and then invalidate. Uh, transactions over a couple of months that happened in the rest of the world, this would cause a lot of confusion because we, we build on the assumption that it's very, very unlikely um, f for the chain to roll back or to invalidate transactions that are older than one hour and uh, like non-existent, but still uh, it, it's not, there's, there's no def definitive consensus in Bitcoin, for instance. Um, that you can't roll back for a longer time, huh? but it's, it's 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 extremely unlikely, and we all build on this assumption. But this assumption assumes uh, that every miner 
minds and looks only at the at his or her short-term gain in the system and not some bigger picture some 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 uh, some some yeah. some influence that for instance uh, governments could have or that individuals who control the network who can cut cables uh, but isn't there still a counter so to give you an example if a country decides you know an event of war or something they mm -hmm. wall off their internet and they continue to mine on their own uh, and they come back and they've got these wonderfully long chains right mm -hmm. longer than the ones that everybody else has been uh, mm -hmm. assembling I guess for lack yeah. of a better mm -hmm. term the group as a whole then can still say, eh, we're going to retroactively say sure. that yours don't matter. Correct. So yes. you're using, you said Russia or China or something, but they, they'd still be taking a huge risk by putting all that into it because at the end of the day, you can still say, hey, nice try, but no. The rest of the world says no. Yeah, uh, this is something that you can do, but um, again, you don't have central control. Then someone will say, well, maybe... Um, because you don't know who the miners are. Uh, right. Um, so, it, I, I, I will caveat that by saying it could happen, but it may not happen. Mm -hmm. It seems to me if the rest of the world was not working on the same chain, right? Again, using Russia or China as an example, all of their, uh, they would have all the money, all the, the, the coin, right? Because everybody else's would be now moot because... The, uh, their, their chain would not be as long as the, as the country that walled off, right? So it seems to me that it would make sense for the rest of the world to say, nah, 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 we're not. You don't accept it. Yeah, but it can also happen accidentally. Like there was this uh, island that was offline for uh, for two weeks now because they're basically the undersea cable broke. I, I can't recall which country it was. Um, some small island oh, in yeah. the Pacific. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then uh, if local merchants use uh, Bitcoins, they can't, I mean, they can, they can continue uh, the local interactions, but all those transactions would be lost once the island reconnects the cable. Uh, and they're kind of too small and it's it's actually not a hostile thing. It was just like... But only the miners, right? Only the miners would be affected, not the people with the... They have no, that the all the transactions that happened on the island that used Bitcoin. So if I bought coffee for a Bitcoin, and uh, so I, you sold the coffee to me for... Uh, it's too expensive for a Bitcoin, right. but a fraction of a Bitcoin right. um, on, on, on this island. And there are two miners and they would have confirmed those blocks. And then the island rejoins the rest of the world. Then those transactions would be lost because their chain is really didn't grow a lot. I always thought that once you had the Bitcoin, uh, you had it forever, right? In no, you, it has to be in not the current block, but maybe a couple of older blocks, like this one hour confirmation time, then you can be sure that you really have it. Huh? Um, so, and there would be also on the island, maybe there are some, some miners. Uh, so it would actually be in, in a valid blockchain and you would have waited for oh, one see. hour. And, but then this chain is just thrown away because it's shorter than the rest of the world. If, okay, I see. If that particular coin was based upon a chain that, that was on this island, so yeah. they're developing a chain and because of the, the cut of the internet cable, they're not able to validate it with the network. And then they sell these to locals and locals buy these. Well, it turns out these, these Bitcoin are no good. And, and the, the transactions that we did in, in, in the time. And this basically then rolls back to, and, and then, I have the, uh, then I have the old, uh, the, I still have the Bitcoin that I 
spent actually as I spent it for your coffee but since the transactions are lost of those blocks I, I then again have the Bitcoin I could spend it again but obviously what you could do is if you have a working legal system in this uh, island you could then go to court and say well you know we were offline here's the proof that Edgar actually bought uh, gave me the coin and it was in, in, in this time period and now it rolled back because we are now connected to it um, please force Edgar to give me the coin. And if you know, uh, if, if you know me personally, if, if you have an identity, um, because I actually bought the stuff in your coffee shop and you know me, it's a small island, um, and, and I'm identified, you still can use the legal system. Uh, oh, I see. So you're, so you're saying that the person who buys the coffee, they agreed when they exchanged the, the coin for the coffee, <laughs> and it's fair trade. But because the network was down, it never got updated so yeah. essentially when the network when they get connectivity back that money is still sitting in their wallet correct because okay because it, okay so now it's up to them to say hey i uh, don't worry the, the internet was down i get it here's i'll give it back to the, the if i'm an honest owner. person okay. and on a small island i, I say gotcha. well it was lost i pay again but if i don't pay then you would have to use some outside means you could not solve it within the the, the cryptocurrency but right. some outside legal system to to solve this and and you could for instance then say as long as you know the identity of the people that you deal with you could say i don't sell to to anonymous people i, I want i want to know who you are and you actually live in a country with a working legal system um then even if the, this Bitcoin thing goes back because some some fork issues, I can always try to sue you. Uh, right. Similar to credit card transactions, because I, I pay your credit card, I can say, well, I didn't authorize the transaction, and right. then and then we, we've started a legal battle. So it's interesting, I'll tell you, that uh, now that we're talking about this, I'll be honest with you, I came into this uh, very skeptical. Now, while I'm a big believer in, the, in technology and technology advancing, and oftentimes we don't understand the technology in the very beginning, right? Um, but, uh, you know, you hear people like Warren Buffett, um, he may have changed his tune recently, but, you know, he'd come out and said, you know, investing in Bitcoin is a, basically a fool's game, right? And, you know, the, the understandable reason behind it is that governments don't back it. Where's the value, right? Uh, the value is basically an agreement amongst the, the network. Yeah. Other currencies are backed by gold or the, or the promise of the government to repay that debt, right? And there's, there's value there. Um, and so I understand the logical reason to, to, to uh, say, well, Bitcoin's cute, but I'm not going to get involved in something that is essentially highly speculative and based upon the agreement among anonymous entities, right? Mm -hmm. However, talking to you, it is a, a very intriguing technology. And then, and again, back to the, the money laundering aspect of it, because everything is so traceable, not identifiable, from the sense of I can identify who owns it, but I can trace every transaction and every coin that goes through, then you know, if, if the world was to move to an electronic currency, uh, a cryptocurrency type general, generally accepted currency, then like I said, it seems like they could do a lot against crime um, because they can track the money so much. Now you have, you run into the problem with the anonymity, I get that, mm -hmm. but just like they do right now, when there's a crime that's committed and then there's money involved somehow, well, then they, again, take what happened in the rural world, take what happened in the, uh, in the cryptocurrency world and, and kind of reverse engineer and figure out, okay, these are related. 
But I guess my point is, is that just the, the time that we've sat here, I've already kind of changed a little bit. Like, hmm, okay, this is, this is viable yeah. and interesting. It has holes. There's no yeah. question about it. But it's, it's more viable than I thought an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's uh, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I mean, the, um, there are also anonymous uh, systems where you cannot trace. For instance, in Zcash, there's shielded transactions where you cannot trace the transaction, so you don't know who sent money to whom uh, and which amount. And you can still, and that's, and that's mathematically, that's really complicated. Um, each node, each miner has to verify that the transaction is valid. So if I I give one Bitcoin to you, the miner has to check whether this is a valid transaction in the sense that I actually have the Bitcoin to spend. Uh-huh. Um, and then the miner also knows that you now have one Bitcoin more and now you can spend this this Bitcoin. And this is this validity, checking of validity of transactions is, is essential that the entire thing works. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And now with anonymous transactions, you have some fancy mathematical um, stuff going on that the miner can check whether this address that he doesn't know transferred an amount that he doesn't know that he actually owns this. So um, there are some zero knowledge proofs involved, so this fancy mathematical stuff, but the the miner can check that this address that just spent an to him unknown amount of money actually has this without seeing the real addresses where this money came from or how high it was. Um, so there are those completely anonymous payment systems where you can So essentially it's a valid transaction. Uh, yeah, they you, yeah, they can check it's a valid transaction, but, but they, have no, they have no idea about the amounts and they can also not link the transactions. They cannot say that this, uh, an unknown amount was going from here to here, then from here to here and so on. So this unlinkability of transactions is also an important privacy concept that... that um, Bitcoin doesn't support this, but but other cryptocurrencies uh, do that. So let me let me delve into that for a moment. With the privacy. Uh, it's it's hard for me to think about um, reasons that you have to remain completely anonymous that are not nefarious reasons that are not something. I mean, aside from the fact that I just don't want people to know my business. Well, I understand that, but it's it's uh, sometimes we give up freedoms right in order to prevent crime and other types of things. It's the same reason, um, uh, well, you know, they have cameras in banks, right? And so you give up your privacy in order because they accept, you, you know, you want to prevent the bank robbers. And, you know, we lock our doors and things like that. If you're using a bank, let's say you're using a bank and you're doing a large transaction, well, the bank's going to know, right? The bank knows that you have this money. They already know that. And the other bank's going to know that you have this money. And now the person who you transfer that money to has this money. And that's pretty much it. Now, of course, assuming that those banks don't get hacked and that that information does not come out on the internet. Now, of course, law enforcement can find out if they want to, right? They go with their subpoena and they go to the banks, they tell us all this stuff. So my point is, if you're not breaking any laws anyways, then what is the dire need for anonymity? It depends on also who who has access to the information at, at, and how easy is this access? Yeah? I mean, so for instance, you don't want that every transaction that you do that they know where the money came from. So you buy a coffee and the guy who charges the coffee sees uh, that you made the money because um, you're a male prostitute and you just received money 
from some other guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so probably you don't want this uh, because there's some social stigma attached to, to prostitution. Right. So you don't uh, you don't want like that everyone knows what what you do as a profession maybe. Uh, just to give just to give you one example. Uh, um, for law enforcement, I mean obviously they, they can find out and the prostitution is uh, legal um, here and. So that's perfectly fine. And if, if you don't do any legal stuff, um, police might find out that you, that you make your money from prostitution. And since you paid all the taxes, also the, 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 there's, there's no problem. Right. That. But you still don't want like everyone to know. No, I, I, I totally understand the anonymity mm -hmm. from the public, right? No one should know what you're doing. I'm talking about anonymity from law enforcement, right? And so in the sense of, yes, I mean, if I'm, if I'm going out and getting a prostitute, of course, that's my business, and you pay cash or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that's between you and that's your deal. And quite frankly, it's the same with any other transaction that you do. But people would say, well, then law enforcement needs to have the ability to see who you are, whose transaction, if need be. And that's where my my question about anonymity, not anonymity from the general public, but anonymity, pure anonymity, meaning you can do these things and law enforcement is unable to identify you unless they do that re-engineering that we talked about where they're looking at transactions in the real world, mm -hmm. transactions in the crypto world, and okay, maybe this is likely you. Uh, and so when, what, what, is it, what is the big argument that says, you know what, we don't need law enforcement to know who we are? Is, I mean, it's because some people do argue that. They want total anonymity. Um, so one argument is uh, that you have uh, law enforcement in different countries mm -hmm. um, and that things um, might be legal in one country and not in the other. Um, and then who also decides whether this is a legitimate, I mean, law enforcement sometimes asks for data and then uh, judges don't grant this permission. So who, who actually decides whether this is there's sufficient evidence or whether you want to disclose this information? Right. Which leads to what other discussions have talked about a governing body of cryptocurrency. Right. Yeah. Then you need some central and this then goes against the basic idea that you have right. a decentralized System, yeah. so because right now the only person who the only way you can find out who who owns this account is to have their key right yeah. and if the person's not going to give you the key then there's nothing you can do about it right that, right. that, that leads me to a, a, a recent story I think it was a Canadian the Canadian company the, the CEO died with 140 million dollars mm -hmm. worth of uh, uh, cryptocurrency of Bitcoin what was the name yeah. Anyways, <laughs> the, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. the, so the CEO, you know, he has the, the key to the exchange's access to this cryptocurrency. It's $140 million. He's dead. He dies. No one knows who the key is. So now there's $140 million done, right? It's, it's, it, it's unable. You can't access it. And then I just read yesterday that that same company accidentally, I'm putting in air quotes, accidentally transferred another $400,000 by accident to his wallet, to a dead person's wallet. <laughs> so now they're, now it's $140,400,000. Mm -hmm. So of course, you know, the conspiracists are now saying, well, is he really dead? And you could, you could just watch this uh, account and see. Quadriga, if, Quadriga CX yeah. is the name of the company. Uh, you, you can watch it and see if, if money moves out of that. Uh, you can say, well, if, if, if it's true that no one has, has the key, then you can't move, move away from it. And that. there's no way, I'm asking this as a question, but I'm mm -hmm. phrasing it as a statement. So there's no way that 
he could get that money out without people seeing the transactions. If it's in Bitcoin, correct, yes. Okay. If it's in some other Zcash with shielded transactions, uh, this would be possible. But if it's in Bitcoin, then he would still need to get it to Zcash yeah, yeah. and you would see that transaction. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's another argument for Bitcoin in the sense of, you know, if someone walked away for, with $100 million from a company in a bunch of suitcases, you never see it again. You're never going to know if they spend it, you know, because you're not going to have the serial numbers for those bills, all that stuff. So someone could get away with something like that. But here, because it's electronic and it's monitored, he's stuck. There's yeah. nothing you can Usually do. Usually would, you would have some, some kind of uh, organizational controls in a company that it's hard to get $100 million from a right, right, bank into cash. Um, well, I use an yeah. example, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, but you could transfer to an account, right? I mean, I, yeah. I don't know how, how the whole thing works, but you know, years ago when you could transfer to a Swiss account, then that goes to the Caymans, and then it goes, you know. Or you, then you use money moves uh, right. to do Western Union transactions. Uh, that's actually how right. you make it. And you buy a thousand car washes, right? Yeah. And you launder all your money there like Walter Wright did. Uh -huh. So, uh, no, no, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is transaction fees. So who is who charges the transaction fees? Where are the fees coming from? Uh, so if I uh, again take up the example that I buy, buy coffee from you, um, I say that I have one. I always have. Let's stick to Bitcoin. I always have um, a transaction that gave me money. Um, so I received maybe two Bitcoin from some other person. So I have two Bitcoin, and then I say, well. Um, a fraction of a Bitcoin goes goes to you um, for the coffee. I have to spend the two Bitcoins entirely in that I received from one transaction. I have to spend it entirely in this transaction. So I'd say uh, most of the two Bitcoin goes back to me again. So that is actually in a new transaction. So um, a fraction goes to pay for the coffee. Most of the part goes back to me again. And then there's a part that I don't use like that is kind of left over like a tip in a restaurant yeah. mm -hmm. um, and this would be the transaction fee that i offer to whom to whoever successfully mines a block that includes my transaction oh interesting so it's not like an exchange that's doing it it's essentially so if you mine the block that creates that bitcoin that bitcoin goes out into the population somewhere when that's used you get a fee for that no, to include the transaction. So the transaction says, um, let's say you have very expensive coffee. You have you charge half a Bitcoin for your coffee because it's that great. Uh, I get two Bitcoins. I say uh, half a Bitcoin goes to you for the coffee. Um, 1.49 Bitcoins goes back to me. Mm -hmm. And the remaining 0 0.1 Bitcoins, I don't use them. And so whoever includes the transaction, the block receives this money. So how, how does it work? I do, the, I do the transaction to pay you. I send it out to, to the network, to all the miners, and they have a list of transactions that are not yet in the block. Uh, and they say, okay, um, and they can choose which transactions to include. There's a maximum number of transactions that they include that's limited by the block size. Of, and, and they choose the ones that they like, usually it's, and the assumption of the model is that they choose the ones that pay the most transaction fees. So there's no set fee, it's basically there's, what you choose to... Yeah, and if you pay lower, uh, then it might take longer for the transaction to be included in the blockchain. And if you said no transaction fee, then you could probably guarantee that that 
would never be included in the block, right? Probably, yes. So yeah. how do you know how much to, to give them? Um, if you use some, some web-based wallets, they, or some software, they recommend, they, they, they recommend something. They look at what the successful transactions currently give and, and how many, what transactions are unconfirmed yet and, this, and they set the fee. And this is actually um, also a way of how you can influence the network. There's, there's been one nice game um, that, that, that highlights the, the problems in a, in a very fascinating way. So there's a, there's a game, it's coded in a smart contract, uh, where you put in money uh, into the pot and this starts time counter counting downwards. And once it re uh, uh, reaches zero, uh, zero seconds, uh, the person who put in money last wins the entire pot. So I put in some money and the countdown goes. And then you put in, in the last second, you put in some money. Can you see, can everybody see the counter? Uh, yes, and the counter then resets and then starts again counting down, maybe if, let's say from, from one minute. Yeah? And like everyone can, and, and money piles up and piles up and piles up and, 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 you've, and a new party joins and it's maybe it's a one million euro in, in, in the pot and then new person just puts in 10 cents and resets the counter to one minute, and if no one else puts in money, uh, this person would get all, would, all the money. So, so I assume then you're trying to get the money in at you know, 0.0000001 second before it so ends, right? How, how do you win this game? Um, so you have to be the last one to put in money mm -hmm. until it times out. How can, I, how can I make sure that this happens is I prevent everyone else from putting in money. So I wait until a lot of money piles up, and this was actually um, uh, really worth more than a million, and someone put in a small, small amount of money, mm -hmm. and then prevented other people from participating. Oh. In the real world, you will, I don't know, push, I will push you away, I hire some big guys, push you away from right. the table or something right. like this. And in, in, in this world, I simply put in many transactions with high transaction fees in the network, uh, so that you cannot get your transaction in. So this guy spent a couple of $10,000 on high-paying transactions. Oh, not because the, the, the miners are taking his transactions. transactions oh, and my. those transactions are completely unrelated to the game. So he does whatever other transactions. Right. Um, simply that the network is flooded with his uh, or her transactions, with the high-paying transactions, and no one else gets their transaction. So he invested and risked a couple of $10,000 and won a million. Hmm. Uh, so, you, so you can always um, block, and this is, would be a kind of denial-of-service attack on the network, but it's not, it's not really an attack because it's... It, it's not. It's definitely not illegal, and it actually uses the mechanisms of the system in, in not really an illegal way, also not unethical way. He simply says, "Well, I have transactions that pay higher. I put them in. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's part. and and also um, if you have some transactions that are really important that need to be included, um, miners could could start blackmailing you, and they say, "Well." I know that for some reason, in, in terms of smart contracts and right. settling of smart contracts and payment channels, this does become an issue. A miner might know that the transactions that you want him or her to include is now really important for you. Right. Uh, and he can say, well, I just include it if you pay more, uh, because I know this is a high value transaction for you. Um, and, and, and so those, and since those things are unregulated, um, it's interesting to think about 
what the effects on society would be. I mean, now the bank always charges you the same amount and they don't mm -hmm. say, well, I, I see um, that you're in distress, um, that you really need to transfer this money, uh, otherwise you will get a high fine. Right. Um, and therefore I charge you higher. Huh? And I mean, if they would do this, you could sue them. I mean, it's right. certainly illegal to do that. But there's, because the mine is in China and you don't even know who the mine is, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So, so those changes, um, market dynamics, I mean, many economists would like it, uh, like the idea because it, it, it takes really the, the, the dynamics of, of, of market and market That's prices. Total to, free market, yeah. yeah to, to the extreme. But then again, Mm, at least many people in society are not used to it and we don't really know how whether that's something how this influences like daily life the ideal situation is if government could take something like this and really allow a lot of the free market aspects to thrive and then with some monitoring right and the regulation i mean mm -hmm. i'm not for government a lot of government regulation but sometimes you need you need a, a body that holds people accountable Right, because there's always going to be someone cheating. There's always going to be, and and not only that, even by accidents, right? Accidents happen. A, a good example, you know, the, the guy who's died with 140 million dollars in that's locked up now. Well, that doesn't happen in the bank. The CEO of a bank dies, and it doesn't mean no one can take their money out, right? There's checks and balances. There are checks and balances not only into the access to the money, but the liquidity of the bank, right? Now that has failed. At certain times, as we've seen in the not too distant past, but the, what they've decided, okay, we need to come in and make these banks more liquid. I mean, uh, the, the example that you have here with the, with the, I mean, you could solve this without changing lots a lot in Bitcoin. Actually, you don't need to change anything. You would need to have, if this is a company that is registered in some country, you could have some some oversight body that says, well, if you have so many assets in in uh, mm -hmm. in cryptocurrencies. Uh, please prove that it's actually accessible by more than one person. It's the tragedy of a, of a nascent network, right? It's, we haven't run across this before. I mean, yes, people, you hear the stories about the guy who lost his, the key to his wallet and he's got, and you know, then Bitcoin goes up to $20,000 per coin. And he's like, oh my God, it means I got a million dollars worth of, but I have no idea where I put that because, you know, that was eight years ago. And that was when you could buy a pizza for a thousand Bitcoin, you know? We hear those little stories, but it's something like this, again, because it's not regulated. Um, that I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's in Canada, I think. The I think it was Canada. Canada yeah. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, I don't know how they regulate uh, any companies in, in, in Canada, but usually if you, if you would have uh, big assets in, in, your, um, in your balance sheet, um, so the auditor would would verify this. It's like um, you, I don't know. You have a company that has a lot of assets in in physical gold, you, uh, right? And and you can say, well, it's just this one guy that knows where the gold is, and we can check whether it's really. Uh, and, and if he dies, we don't know where it's hidden. I mean, but the is question like, is, are there laws that exist that that say these exchanges have to be audited? Right. That's where I think you then uh, it becomes acceptable when the government starts stepping in a little bit again. I'd like to see it where it's they keep as much freedom as mm -hmm. possible within the market, within the, the network. But things like this, again, back to the basics, hey, at least two guys have to have keys to the safe, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, uh, uh, or it needs to be behind glass, you can break it when the CEO dies mm -hmm. or, or something else. But yeah, it's just an interesting case. And these are things that you see when a market is growing, it's growing pains, right? It's incredibly painful for certain people who've 
are now losing that money. Uh, one of the things I want to kind of jump to is uh, we're talking a lot about money and millions of dollars and things, but cashing out. Like actually now you've, you, we saw last year where the, you know, Bitcoin goes up to $20,000 a coin. And I remember reading somewhere that, well, no one could get that money out. Understand there are exchanges that will exchange the Bitcoin for real, you know, hard currency, yep. US dollars, euros, whatever it may be. But people are having a hard time doing that. Is that something that, is it still, is it relatively easy now? Or is it still, okay, because you have $10 million worth of Bitcoin doesn't really mean you can get that out and buy a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't tried a, a cashing so much. I don't have a, a lot of Bitcoin. Um, there are exchanges. Um, in, in Austria, you have to identify yourself uh, to the exchange. So one would be the, the Austrian company Bitpanda. Uh, you can, um, you, it's like- a, It's a private organization? It's a private okay. organization. It, it, it's, it's, it behaves like a bank. I don't think they have a banking license yet, or maybe they do, I don't know. Anyway, you, you, you have to show them, uh, you have to do a video identification uh, with them. So you show basically the guy, your, your, your passport and the utility bill, bills mm-hmm. and whatever. And so they know your identity and they have uh, check your um, cell phone number. And, and, uh, and then you can use this to transfer uh, money to them and they will give you Bitcoin or the other way around, so it's, a, it's okay. a nice thing. And, and you identify that. And I don't know if they have any limits on, since they get, uh, trans, uh, um, if they have any limits, if, if you do 10 million, I don't know if how long this would take to confirm. I, I haven't tried this, but, but those, um, and th- those are also the points where you can, um, regulation can, can check. Um, so once, where you get money into the network and out of the network. Okay. So, um, and if 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 you regulate those those entry points, this is one way of at least um, dealing with. Are they unregulated right now? I'm not sure about the the, the legal status. At least the Austrian companies they seem to do it as a fairly strict, strict place on you. So then, in that case, the transaction would be that I want to get I want to take my Bitcoin and exchange it for euros. So I prove that, prove to them who I am first, mm-hmm. and then. Obviously, they know that I own that wallet because I have the key to it. Yeah, you, and then you, I transfer. you send them the money, and you and the important part is you trust them. You trust them once you give them the bitcoins. You trust them that they actually transfer the euros to your right. bank account. If they don't, uh, so you're banking on their reputation. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's an Austrian company, and you can check, uh, and you have a good legal system in Austria. And if right. the guy doesn't do that, you can sue him, and and whatever he'll end up in prison or whatever. So you you again rely on the legal uh, legal system. At, at this point of interface, and this works fine. Right? Um, and then you, your bank gets the 10 million inbound, uh, and then probably they will have to report it and say there's like 10 million coming from some cryptocurrency thing. And then law enforcement can check whether how you made this money, and they will probably, or tax, uh, you hopefully then pay. Uh, you don't pay any taxes because you. Uh, own the uh, bitcoins longer than one year, but you, uh, I don't know how how well our finansamt works, but they would come and say, well, you got 10 million, why didn't you pay taxes? And you would say, well, I can prove that uh, the bitcoins lay dormant uh, for at least one year in the account. Here's the proof. Uh, and therefore, I don't have to pay tax. And they say, okay, but where did it actually come from? Did you, I don't know, sell drugs? And then you would have to reveal where, where the money came from. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so that, well, that, that that all makes sense. The most important point is you can you can get cat you can you can convert it. Yeah. I would imagine it's a high transaction fee for something like that, because especially with the volatility of Bitcoin, when you go to Prague in the Prague train station, you come off the train, the very first exchange money exchange place charges like twenty three percent. It's ridiculous. If you walk another five meters to the bank, they charge no. There's no mm-hmm. fee. But it's an it absolutely absorbent amount of mm-hmm. money to change money. But I imagine when you're trying to get hard currency from Bitcoin that they probably do charge a rather large fee as well. Because they're, uh, they're taking risks because if that, that Bitcoin could go down tomorrow, right? I guess they, they continue uh, selling it. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know their business model, but at least for, for small transactions, um, the fee is not... It's in, percent like one percent two percent something okay. like this uh, kind, kind of reasonable um but then again even if it were ten percent if you look at i don't know countries like venezuela what are ten percent i mean right yeah who knows what's going to be tomorrow yeah <laughs> so i will let's uh let's move into um the attack that mm-hmm. uh we're going to talk about and i don't i i know even less about this than i do about cryptocurrency so i'm going to allow you to talk a little bit about uh Bribing miners is that how this is one one possible attack. So um, as I said, the the entire system relies on that miners behave so that they make a lot of money for themselves. So Mm -hmm. kind of this, uh, like we also know in free markets, this this kind of egoistic uh, assumption that I do what is best for me and. As a society, we all benefit from it. This 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 basic assumption is uh, that that also governs this Nakamoto consensus. So a miner will always mine on the large on the longest chain because if he or she doesn't, um, they risk losing the mining reward. Yeah? So if I would mine on the shorter chain, um, I wouldn't get the mining reward. And so what is the basic idea of such a bribing attack is um, the underlying bad thing that I want to do is a double spending attack. So I want to spend the same coin twice. Mm -hmm. So I buy coffee from you. I give you for your great coffee half a Bitcoin. And at the same time, I I take the same Bitcoin and give it back to myself. So I have two competing transactions. And I... And I um, send out the one transaction that pays for your coffee to one part of the network. And I send out the transaction that where I pay myself just to have a competing transaction to other parts of the network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever includes b- b- both work and one transaction is in- included. And once it's included, all the other miners uh, see it, they won't work, they won't they will no longer include the second transaction because it's invalid at that point because the money has been spent. Uh, and so you would wait usually for a couple of blocks until this is confirmed and then you can be reasonably sure that you actually get you have, have a Bitcoin. And now in the attack, um, I again do this double spending and I work on the, on the, on the block that contains the, where I transfer the money back to myself. Now, since I only have maybe 10% of the hashing power, so I'm a, a big miner, but by no way dominant, um, I, mine, I, mine this, I mine on the block, but the probability that I will win is, is extremely low. 
So now I need to convince other miners to come to me and, and mine on my kind of illegal, on my double spending. Uh, spending chain yeah because you you did wait one hour until you served the coffee to me until you were sure that um, that coin the payment the transaction is included so the, the transaction that paid for the coffee is now in the longer chain and, and I is that and just I'm sorry to, yeah. to interrupt real quick but so that particular coin transaction it goes back and finds in the the block that it was created from, right? Yep. So it kind of plugs it back in there and says, okay, so it, it, there's a correlation back to a block in a chain. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. So, and, and, and you long, and you, this is the transaction that I paid for the coffees in the longest chain. You're reasonably sure that this will win. And now I do my attack. I, I spend the same coin again and at this, at, on a shorter chain, on the, on, on, on the fork of this chain, where the transaction that paid for the coffee is not included. And now I need, since my chain is by six blocks shorter than, than, than the current one, I would need to convince other miners to mine on the shorter chain so that eventually our shorter chain will become the longest one. Despite it being shorter yeah. than the other one. So we have to kind of catch up. Now, no miner would change to my chain because if they, if they mine on the shorter chain, uh, the risk losing, um, since it's, it's short, it's, uh, it's, it's very unlikely that it will win. So they say, well, there's no sense. Uh, I, I won't change because I don't, I lose money. I mine on your chain, but my mining reward is not grant. I, I don't get my mining reward, so I won't change. Huh? So what I have to do is I have to bribe them and I have to say, well, if you mine on my sh shorter chain um, and we lose, I will still give you the money that you would have gotten if you would have mined on the longest chain. So kind of to minimize your losses. So no matter whether you mine on the long chain or the short chain, um, you, you get the same amount. So you don't risk losing money if you mine on that. And then I'll give you an additional incentive. If you mine on my chain and we win, I will pay you a little bit more, just a small extra delta sum that, that you would normally get. Um, I don't need to pay the mining rewards out of my pocket because the mining rewards um, are inherent in if, if you mine a block, you get the mining reward. And, mm -hmm. uh, so um, so the high, the mining rewards are really high in Bitcoins, 12.5 Bitcoins right now. If we win, I don't need to pay the mining rewards. If we lose, I would have to compensate you for the mining rewards that you didn't get. So losing this attack would be really expensive for me. Uh, but winning the attack, if we win, it's not expensive since I don't need to pay the mining rewards. I simply need to pay some small extra delta, maybe half a Bitcoin, maybe 10%, uh, maybe 1% um, uh, of a Bitcoin so that you have some additional incentive that you might You don't have to pay the mining rewards because they would get them anyways. Yes, correct. Okay. And now, the, those bribing attacks are not really new, but you can... You can um, what, what is the problem with bribing usually is that bribing is illegal um, in the real world and that um, therefore the transaction costs of doing illegal stuff are high because um, if I don't pay the bribe, what are you going to do? You can't, you can't sue me that if I, I, I don't pay the bribe. Huh? And in this case, even though probably it's not uh, illegal, um, you, it's still hard to resort to the legal system for that because I don't know the mine is in China and this Chinese guy would have to sue you here in Austria and that, I mean not going to happen therefore um, 
transaction costs high because you add a high risk premium to that, yeah, to some illegal activity. But if you use smart contracts, you can reduce this. You can you can hard code this in a smart contract, and and you basically put this in a smart contract. You say I put up a, as a collateral a bunch of money, and if this attack fails and you can prove it to the smart contract that, that this attack failed, uh, you will get compensated. So it's all automated. It's all automated, yeah. Okay. And there's no, you don't need some external legal system to do it. And this would be a very efficient attack. And actually, that's also the interesting part is um, that of smart contracts where you put where you put in money as a kind of a guarantee. Um, that then pays out automatically is who benefits most from this. I mean, you, there's nothing that you couldn't do in a work in, a, in an efficient legal system because um, so smart contracts are ex ex extremely efficient in countries where you don't make most sense in countries where you don't have a good working legal system where it takes too long or is unreliable or you can bribe judges or whatever. So in those countries. Um, smart contracts are really useful because you can't resort to an external legal system. No, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, because you're not you're not relying on the human intervention, yeah. right? And the word of somebody, the good word Correct. of somebody. The system itself will determine whether or not the transaction was com uh, concluded. Yeah. And so it, it's efficient for, for countries where you don't have a legal system and it's efficient for illegal activities. Um, because uh, trans risk premiums on illegal activities are high because, yeah, you can't sue someone easily. So you, uh, how do normal criminals do that? They have, I don't know, big men with guns that mm -hmm. kind of uh, enforce the rules. Right. Huh? And they're expensive uh, because they might en end up in jail, so they want lots of money to do those, those things. Um, and you can do this much more efficient. Just take an example. If, if you are the CEO of some, some large company, and I'm an investor and I want to bet on falling market prices for, for, your, for the shares of your company. Mm -hmm. Now, in the real world, um, um, I would approach you and say, well, if you do some actions in your, in your company so that the market price of your company falls um, and you don't have too many stock options, uh, um, I'll pay you a million right. that, that, that you do this. Um, and now that's the problem. If, if you do it, Later on, I don't pay you. It's hard for you. What are you going to do? Okay. Uh, therefore, you charge a large amount of money because there's high risk that I don't pay. Or the other way, if you send, well, give me the money first and then I'll do it. Uh, what guarantees do I have that you will successfully manipulate the, 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 the market price of your company? But we could set up this very efficiently in a, in a, in a, in a smart contract, I can say. Um, yeah. You give me your... your uh, Ethereum account number basically um, and if the market price of the share of, of, of your company drops below a certain threshold you'll get a million um, and maybe you don't need maybe you don't do anything it just drops naturally then you're lucky and, and, and you get the money anyway uh, but maybe you do something then it drops and this would be it's then extremely efficient in implementation there's absolutely no risk for you as a, as a CEO that I don't pay because it's it's in the contract and for me, there's also no risk that you take the money uh, without the share price falling. We do need an external oracle that uh, supplies the real price in a trustworthy way to the contract, but this is 
one technical problem, but uh, but but it's very efficient to implement this. And we could never have such an efficient contract in the real world because it's obviously highly illegal to do this. So essentially both parties agree to what is an electronic contract, an agreement. Mm -hmm. They both look at the contract, so to speak, agree to it, and then it gets hard-coded into the agreement, correct? Correct. Yes. So now no one can change it. So correct. when certain conditions are met, then... The, this will be executed. And no the, law enforcement on any country can easily stop this because it's, again, on the, in a distributed system, running in a distributed system. So, so back to the original premise of this, that you have someone that uh, wants to nullify one of their transactions, right? So they use the Bitcoin twice. And so their whole point is create, they want to create a fork, right? Mm -hmm. So, so let's say you have the, you know, the Bitcoin going across the, is it Y axis is the one that's horizontal? Anyway, they're going, it's the horizontally, it's going horizontally. And, uh, and then you're going to create a fork that goes vertically down, mm -hmm. right? So the point, and I'm just trying to, to, to make it visual. The person who you did the transaction with is going to record that, that their transaction to get recorded on the horizontal snake, the horizontal chain that's going. But you've created a fork and you're now you're trying to get, uh, you're going to bribe these miners to work on your fork. Mm -hmm. Their transaction has been recorded on the horizontal chain will be moot. Will no longer be yeah. active. So you've got so basically you, whatever you spent that that Bitcoin on, you get free, mm -hmm. correct? So I imagine to go to all that type of trouble, it has to be a significant amount mm -hmm. of money. We're talking about yes, it has to be a significant amount of uh, money. It's a large transaction, and then there are again many interesting things that you can think about uh, later on. Um, in the successful event, uh, the the attack will be actually quite cheap because you don't have to pay the mining rewards. You just need a big guarantee a big collateral in case it fails so you have to be rich to do this attack but if you're rich and you can do the attack the attack itself will be quite cheap but once you started the attack other people in the in this in this chain that is now attacked the transactions that other people did they now see um, that there's actually a chance that their payment will also be rewarded uh, rewarded or rewarded undone Undone, yeah. So, okay, so because they're in the horizontal chain, they're like, they wait a minute. Say, and they could say, well, I, I kind of piggyback on this attack. Um, so now this guy started an, an attack on this chain, and if it's successful, I could also actually double oh, spend. So, they could, so I, I okay. add some more money to, to this attack contract because, yeah. Because but I, I thought the uh, assumption was everybody's doing the right thing. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> what they, this whole thing's premised on? Uh, the, the idea is that everyone does the right thing because it serves their own interest best. Uh, so, but now if this person is doing this attack or this entity, I won't use person, the Bitcoins, you can still see, so let's say they win. Let's say they're successful in this, this, this bribing the miners and now they get the Bitcoin reward. They pay a little bit of you know, money to the miners, whatever it is. But you know now that that those Bitcoin that came from that attack are somewhat tainted, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's not illegal, right? Because right. there's not laws to it. But does the network now look at that and say, "Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna honor those Bitcoin because we know how you got them. You went in and did a uh, a bribing the miners attack." You would have to know about this, um, for one, and and yes, in this case you could you you could avoid it. But if you do this in an anonymous payment system, such as Ccash, 
there's not the option to trace uh, uh, trace coins. But you so have to take that Bitcoin. I, I could do the same attack in Zcash. So I could do it. I, I could do the same thing without even going to without even going to Bitcoin. Bitcoin. You start yeah. in Zcash. I, I start in Zcash or, or somewhere else. So the Zcash is basically the same as Bitcoin, but anonymous. Is that correct? Um, they have the option to do shielded transactions uh, where you have um, where you don't know who pays to whom what amount. You only see that a transaction happens. Yes, but not all transactions. Actually, the minority of transactions are shielded in this system. So usually, uh, they're as open. That the majority of transactions that are done um, are as open as, as in Bitcoin. But it does have the option to to, to shield. Now. Are those, when you say shielded, is that shielded by uh, software that no one will ever, no one can ever know the, no, uh, it's, the it's true source? Or? By, by, by some fancy mathematical stuff. That, that, but no that one's able to get in there and like, no one has the key to that, to find out who's doing this. Correct, yes. So uh, it is locked mm -hmm. for good. Yeah, if, if the math is correct, which we assume it is, um, then there's no way of finding that out. And so there are many... Um, and I guess that's the point of all those attacks. There, there are other attacks where you where you look at, um, 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 and also other questions that you have. For instance, the mining reward decreases over time. Uh, so it's it's hard coded because there's a if you go back to Bitcoin, there's a maximum number of twenty one million Bitcoin. Uh, so obviously, uh, you cannot always create new Bitcoins. Now the mining rewards are newly created Bitcoins. At some point, there are no Bitcoins left, so you can't. Mining reward decreases over time, so every couple of years it's it's cut in half, and at some point you won't get any. Um, and now there's the, currently uh, the majority of, of or the, the, the large part of your of what you make as a miner is the mining reward. So you make about uh, twelve point five bitcoins, um, which is like thirty forty thousand. For the mining and your transaction fees are maybe three thousand, maybe four thousand, maybe one thousand. It's maybe ten percent, or in, in the order of magnitude of ten percent. So, the, so the mining reward is the large part, and the transaction fees is the, is the small part currently. And it was even extreme in, 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 in the past. And over time, uh, the mining reward will shrink. So, obviously, the transaction part the transaction fees will become more important. And the question is, will the system still be stable? So there's been uh, some papers um, three years ago or so that simulated this and said, well, currently the best strategy for a miner is um, to take any, the best paying transaction that he or she finds and then start mining. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't pay off to wait for better paying transactions. Right? If in the process of mining you see that there are better paying transactions that offer a higher transaction fee, you will include them and kick out others. Uh, but basically you mine all the time because the mining reward is, 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 is the big part of money that you get. But once this changes in 100 years or so, um, then the best strategy is not to mine but to wait if there are better paying transactions. And this then changes one of the underlying assumptions of how the entire network works and pop. And it might happen that then uh, throughput, uh, throughput decreases uh, because people just wait and don't mine. And if this happens for some time, the level of difficulty decreases. And once the level of difficulty decreases, then it's easy to do quick attacks with, with not too much mining power. Done. And no one really knows, so at least in simulations, you can show that it, this might not be stable. Um, once this happens in 100 years or so, you can fix it by simply saying, well, we, 
we don't limit it to 21 million, but we'll do like 42 million bitcoins, and we can have mining rewards or something like this. And right. As long as everyone agrees, we can we can change the system as we like. But so um, so that it currently uh, so that it currently works uh, doesn't mean that it will work in future because things will change. Um, and I think right now it's not important for the economy, but once uh, we, we, we use uh, cryptocurrencies as, as an important part in our, in, in our daily lives and economy, we have to be sure that the system actually works and kind of we figure out what happens in those cases. So there's a lot of uh, and attacks only get better over time, they never get worse. Um, so it's important to know uh, which attacks exist and, and, and they can, can we trust the system in, in, in the 16 cases and how before we switch everything. I, mean, I don't think this will happen, but some people think that cryptocurrencies are such, such a great idea that we should get rid of all the other money and banking system and do everything with cryptocurrencies. If we do something like this, we'd better be sure that it really works. Yeah. How do you think it's going to unfold in the next few years with cryptocurrency? I mean, 100 years, anything, right? I mean, I, I believe we'll have digital currency. You know, we know a lot of wall in 100 years. But in the next to say five years? So I think it's, um, at least for one, we will see a lot of research going on in this area because it's an interesting topic. It's it's interesting for research um, because it takes up some old problems of distributed, if you think of computer science, of distributed uh, systems and has innovative ways of reaching consensus in the distributed systems that people haven't thought of uh, some years ago. And it's also interesting because you can as a computer scientist, you work together with people from economy because there's this and, and game theory because this incentive and modeling of incentives and the incentive structure is important uh, to the consensus of this distributed system. So now we don't use just mathematics, but we use game theory and, and economic theory, and it also um, has other aspects such as legal aspects and also things outside of the system, such as purchasing hardware and hardware costs and being locked into the, this entire system. So it's interesting from a research perspective. So we'll see a lot of uh, research in this area. And blockchain is not just used for currencies, it's, right? It's used for lots of things. Yes, and, and it's or great. starting to be used for lots yeah, of things. It can, it's, it's great to... And, so now there's, there's this hype that everyone wants to use blockchain also for cases where it doesn't make so much sense, but there are cases where it does make a lot of sense. Like so what? Um, you, have, you need, um, uh, in a distributed system, so you need many, uh, at least a couple of nodes uh, who need to have a consistent picture of something, of reality, if you want to keep a consistent database distributed, but every one of those nodes or many nodes need write, need, need to be able to append or to write to this distributed database, um, and you don't have a central party that you trust. Uh, so those are, I guess, the main, the main things that you need to uh, consider. So um, if you have one dominant partner in, 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 in industry and small suppliers maybe, you don't need a blockchain because this dominant partner says you use my central system otherwise you can't be my right. supplier and 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 yeah but if you have a couple of a, a couple of entities that cooperate maybe a couple of banks there's no dominant player um, and you also don't want to have a trusted third party because this trusted third party not that it's bad in itself but maybe it's hacked by some some other but you want to distribute it um, and they want to keep a common transaction legend this, this this makes sense so what what other types of uh, 
real world commodities or applications would you use the blockchain for? Then can you give an example? I think I, I read somewhere that like De Beers is trying to use it to track their diamonds yeah. uh, around the world. What can you think of another example? Yeah, you can. You could always use it. Um, I mean, tracking uh, and checking identities um, and seeing where this be the diamond or a car or some cow came from if before you slaughter it and eat it and being able to track it and also seeing that it doesn't if you say i just want to buy austrian uh, meat um, and then you can check where did the cow come from and you can check where this farm says it has uh, i don't know 200,000 cows this is probably not uh, that this can't be true because if it's this farm in Austria, it's not that large. So uh, it's again this transparency aspect of being able to track identities. Um, and it's and the, the other aspect with the blockchain being it's unchangeable, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So and once it, it is trusted, as in the sense that you can't go back and change history. Yes, correct. Okay. Huh? So uh, uh, this is a good scenario and, uh, for a blockchain. And if you don't have a trusted third party, this is in particular. I guess interesting in large countries or in countries um, where you don't trust authorities or some central central institution. So, for instance, in Austria, it seems that we do trust our government um, and, um, and 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 the the institutions. So, for instance. Um, tracking cows could be done centrally. Yeah, you could say, mm -hmm. well, we have the Landwirtschaftsministerium um, and they should just keep a database of, 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 of cows and, uh, right. and, and, and you can check it. But if you don't trust them or it's a large country, then you could do this uh, right. uh, very efficiently uh, on, on the blockchain. Right, there could be an evil cow order somewhere. Uh, yeah, well, so. they, 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 they claim it's an Austrian cow and they imported it from some other country. Right. Um, and then you can see that... Um, there's an unreasonable number of cows coming from one part or that a cow is slaughtered and then two halves are sold to the store and the third half which shouldn't exist is sold to some other store then you know that something doesn't doesn't add up right right no it's all uh um interesting stuff i'm not gonna look now that we've been sitting here for two hours uh okay. it's it's uh it's gone mm -hmm. quickly like i said uh you you've you've taken me on a journey from mm -hmm. uh very skeptical to less skeptical now mm -hmm. obviously it's it, it still has things that need to be worked out, and uh, and there are a lot of aspects to it I don't understand, but I think I have a I have a better understanding of it now. So so thank you for explaining it. Uh, Wanted uh, to uh, just uh, talk a little bit of, a little bit about SBA Research uh, before we wrap up. If you could tell us a little bit about what uh, your organization does, I know you have a consulting arm as well. So go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about. It. Well, SBA Research is a, a non-profit research center based in Austria, and we do research in information security. And uh, blockchain is one one important uh, research area that we uh, that we are in now. And we have so about two thirds of our uh, staff work in research um, research projects jointly with companies or uh, basic research, and one third is consulting that we do in the area of, of information security blockchain being one part, but also secure software development and also consulting in uh, organizational aspects. Um, so for commercial companies? For commercial companies, uh, ISO 27000 mm -hmm. um, support. And, uh, yeah. Good, good. And SBA has been around for how long? Um, about 13 years now. So it's been, been around for years. a while and we're based in Vienna with uh, 
approximately 100 employees. Full time. Uh, uh, full time, it's about 80. Yeah. Um, headcount is a bit bit larger than than 100, and we uh, f- focus only on information security. So, given Austria's size and that Austria and parts of Germany and Switzerland are our main market, it's quite large actually. And now you work with. TUVN as well, right? On certain areas. A lot of people come from TUVN. I, okay. I supervise PhD thesis um, and I'm also employed at TUVN and have a, a, a research lab at TUVN um, because TUVN is a, a large university with excellent students and so other companies have troubles hiring good people. The advantage is that we are close uh, and part of TUVN or that TUVN is actually a member of SBA research um, is that we get uh, highly talented people much easier than others do. Wonderful. Good. Well, Edgar, thank you so much for uh, spending the time and talking to us a little about uh, cryptocurrency and uh, blockchain and um, bribing the miners. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Uh, Yeah, all good stuff.